I want to join all those who have already said Happy Mother's Day, but I want to say it once again. This is a special day. As I was getting ready for today, actually for this series, I was looking through files of, uh, of letters and, and important letters, things that we've saved through the years, and I ran across this letter here that was written to my mother. It was written, I think, around 1967 when my mom and dad and our family lived in Thailand. And my mom just found out that her mother had passed away. And this letter is written, it's an encouraging letter. I would love for you to see it maybe after services if you'd like to. But it's an encouraging letter written by someone who... If you've been going to this church for several decades, you may have heard of. Uh, she's someone that I would classify as one of our Hall of Fame members just because she was so encouraging. She loved to write letters. Many of you already know who it is, and I don't even have to say her name. Mary Lou Moore. And my mother got this letter from Mary Lou Moore just telling her about the feelings that she had when her dad passed away. And she's written all of these, uh, she wrote down all of her thoughts, and she thought that my mom could be blessed by what she, what she felt like God had taught her. What a, what a beautiful, encouraging note this was. And I know that it meant a lot to my mother because I still have it today. 54 years later, we still have a copy of it. And you know that it was saved because it, was, it meant so much. Also found a letter that was written to my wife, Sarah, after the passing of her mother. And um, it leads into our, our lesson today because the, her cousin writes, it just amazes me how the Holy Spirit works to comfort. I don't know why I still stand amazed at how God moves in my life. He's such an amazing father, and I don't feel deserving of such attention. Anyway, I think of you as you will experience the same feelings you know, Mother's Day is a day of celebration, but it's also a difficult day for many who are experiencing loss, who bring with them wounds, who have unrealized dreams. And, and so our prayer today is that all of us can find comfort and peace in Christ Jesus. And that's what we hope for everyone, and especially those who are here today and this day is a little bit difficult for you. Today we're going to end a two-week series that we spent in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And this letter is called, or this series, we've entitled it Christ's Letter to the World. And so today we're going to look at the second part of the chapter, and it's going to uh, we're going to see how Paul leads us into this understanding of this comparison between, uh, between works and grace. Now, sometimes we'll read this chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, and we will we'll get to this part where Paul is referring to Sinai and this Old Testament, and we can't really get it going in our brain, and so we'll just skip down and go right to chapter 4. But there is so much in this particular uh, chapter that I want us to focus on today. But if you're going to narrow it down, basically 
Paul's going to tell us that if when we are with Jesus, we have an advantage. We are being able to live in such a wonderful way. And so he's going to compare those who depend on works and those who depend on grace. He's going to try to get us to focus on the difference when we look at what we do versus what Jesus has done. And he's going to tell us about, uh, he's going to help us focus on how it's not about our accomplishments, but it's what Jesus has accomplished for us. So just a summary from last week, really quickly, Paul planted this church in Corinth, and you can read about Paul spending time there in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He stayed there in Corinth about a year and a half. After Paul left, there were some other teachers who came in, and these other teachers began to to say things like, you know, I don't know why you're believing Paul, because Paul is really a false teacher. Paul is teaching that all you have to do is just really believe in Jesus. And that's not true because really it's, you still have to keep the laws and the traditions of Moses, the covenant of Moses. And so they said Paul is a false teacher, but they also said that Paul is an imposter. They said that Paul's really not an apostle. I mean, Paul didn't follow Jesus. He came on the scene lately. I mean, you can look at Paul's past and you can see that he's not the same as, as the other apostles. And so... In this letter of 2 Corinthians, we see Paul's heartfelt attempt to try to defend himself from these criticisms of himself and the ministry that he was part of, but to do it without promoting himself. And so in chapter 3, it starts off with this concept or this this, uh, sentence, well, they're asking, where is Paul's letter of recommendation? And Paul said, just look around. Just look around. You are my letter of recommendation. As the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to change you, that is validating the ministry that we have. He's saying, when you believe in Jesus and follow him, the the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and your lives change. And that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something that no human can take credit for there. It's the Holy Spirit living in each of us that gives us the power to change us and to impact the world. And so last week, we saw that it's through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives Today, we're going to look at two more spiritual realities that we have when we are in Christ Jesus. And the first is that Paul's going to point out that in Jesus Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, there is a constant presence of God with ever-increasing glory. Now, if you look at the first pages of the scripture, you can see that it was God's intention from the very beginning. When God created man and when God created woman, it was to be in constant relationship with God. 
And we get this picture when we read Genesis 1 and 2 of man and woman and God walking together, spending time together. There was this natural intimacy in the relationship that they had with God. But in Genesis 3, we see that sin changed this, that the relationship was separated. And the story of the Bible from Genesis 3 on to the end of Revelation is God putting back this creation order that he had established in the very beginning. God restoring the relationship that he had with mankind. And so, as we get into this chapter 3, there in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to take us back to the book of Exodus. And the story of Yahweh, who has rescued his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, has brought them into this wilderness and has led them to this mountain, mountain of God, the Mount Sinai, where God is going to come down from heaven and God is going to enter into covenant relationship with his people. And he says, if Israel keeps the terms of this covenant, they will be God's treasured possession and a kingdom of priests revealing God to the entire world. It's almost like a marriage covenant that takes place there at Mount Sinai. And we can see that this covenant, this new covenant began in glory. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was fire. This covenant had laws that were etched in stone, beginning with the Ten Commandments. And there were also instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Because God was going to come down and dwell with his people. But it had to be in a separate place. It had to be in a place that was the holy of holies. It was separate from the people. And so, Paul begins 2 Corinthians 3 with these words in verse 7. The old way, some of your translations may say the old ministry or the old covenant. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. You see, the old covenant led to death because there was no way that we could keep all of the laws. Everyone failed, and therefore everyone deserved death. But Paul's going to go on to say, but the new covenant that we have in Jesus brought life because it was not contingent on what we do, but it's contingent on what Christ has done for us in bringing us righteousness. So we continue in verse 7. says, though it began with such glory that the people could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Paul is, is depending on some presumed knowledge right here, that they know the story that takes place in Exodus and he's referring to Exodus 34. You may want to write this down and go back and reread it in your own personal study. Exodus 34, where it says, When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant 
because he had spoken to God, had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. We can read on, read a little bit later, and it's presumed that Moses wore the veil to hide the fact that the glory of God was fading from his face. So, because Moses' glory came from being with God, it came from an external source, this fading glory or this fading of his face was a sign that it, this glory was supposed to be temporary and it was not meant to last forever. Neither the Mosaic Covenant nor the law was meant to last forever. Now, this is foretold by other prophets. If you look at, if you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, listen to these words of Jeremiah the prophet. He says, the day is coming says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ezekiel says the same thing, speaking the words of God. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Isn't that beautiful? God's going to put his spirit inside of us, and that's going to give us the power to do something that the external law, the covenant of Moses, could never accomplish. And so that leads Paul into the next set of verses where, in my Bible, I've written how much more. This is a how much more section. If this is true, then how much more is this really true? Look in verse 8. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? There was glory when God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle. There was glory there because it came from being close to God. But the people... The people had to leave. They had to go back to where they lived, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple. It was an external glory. But now we no longer have to approach God from the outside. We no longer have to approach God from a distance. Now God is placed in our hearts. With the old covenant, God dwelt in a tabernacle or a temple. But now, because of the redeeming work of Jesus, the Spirit of God actually lives in us. You know, I've said this before. Sometimes we think that we come here, we come here to worship God. We come here to find God. 
But when we think like that, we're thinking the old way. Because God doesn't live here. God lives in your hearts. You know, it's actually true that you bring God with you to our church assembly. Think about that. You are the one that brings God here because God is residing in your hearts. And so when we all come together and we, we're able to sing together, we're able to study together, we're able to encourage each other, it's the Holy Spirit of God that's working in all of our hearts together here that encourages us and, and makes us want to go out and to live for Him each and every day. You know, you think of, the, of Jesus, one of His last sayings right before He ascends, He looks into the eyes of the disciples and he says and remember this I'm going to be with you always you remember what the last part of it is even to the ends of the earth how could that be it's because Jesus knew that as he ascended into heaven the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon his church and Jesus would live in the hearts of every believer. And there's nowhere you can go in the, on the face of this earth where God is not present with you. What a beautiful thought that is. Paul continues on in verse 9. He says, If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious... How much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Paul says, if the old covenant came with that much glory, how much more glory is there with the new covenant? The glory of the old covenant began to fade from the very beginning. Read in verse 11. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? You see, the, the glory of this new covenant is more glorious because it's not fading. In fact, this glory is going to last forever. At the end of this chapter, we're going to see that as we follow Jesus and the Spirit of God takes up residence in our hearts, we will go from glory to glory to glory until we find ourselves in the presence of the living God and we are totally glorified. What a beautiful picture that is. You know, Paul has already mentioned this a little bit earlier in his letter if you flip the pages back to first corinthians or second corinthians 1 second corinthians chapter 1 paul says it is god who enables us along with you to stand firm for christ he has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the holy spirits in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When we put a first installment down on something, what does that mean? That means we intend to follow through. This is 
This is the way that God is saying, I am, I am assuring you of your future that there's going to be glory upon glory upon glory until finally you come into the presence of the living God and you are totally consumed and filled with glory. You see, when we give our hearts in faith to Jesus, not only are our hearts shaped and molded by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not only is there an ever-increasing experience of the presence of God, but we see one more thing that Paul wants us to notice here. He says, but there's also a change in our perspective. You see, this new covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus and the, the, the Spirit of God living inside of us, it changes the way that we view the world, it changes the way that we view ourselves, and it changes the way that we view our future. Paul picks this up in verse 12. He says, Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Why does it give us confidence? It's because it doesn't depend on what we do, it doesn't depend on our faithfulness. It depends on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And when we know that our, that, that our sins are forgiven, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us, we can live in confidence. We can live every day with a bold spirit that's inside of us. Paul explains this further by going back to Exodus and the story there on Mount Sinai, starting in verse 13. He says, We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. I have that underlined in my Bible. You might want to do the same. And this veil can only be removed by believing in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Paul's saying... You know, there are some, there's some people, and, and many of them have actually come and they're in your church family. There are the, there's a, some who want to depend on their own ability, their own ability to keep the law, their own ability to follow the commandments. They want to promote themselves. They want to say, look how holy I am. I mean, here's my letter of recommendation. Can you see? They're focusing on the outward. But he said this kind of thinking can only be removed by believing in Christ. He, he says their hearts are covered by a veil and they don't understand. Verse 16, but... But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
when you really understand what Jesus is doing in your heart, what Jesus is doing in your life, all of a sudden you begin to see differently. When you study the scripture, everything seems to point to Jesus, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's all about Jesus, and it's so beautiful. The veil has been taken away. Verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that a beautiful verse? You know, I think that even today, even here, something that all of us struggle with is what they were struggling with. Is it, is my relationship with God based on me doing all of these things? Is God impressed by my good works? By my following the traditions, by the, by the way that I live? Paul says to us today the same thing. He says, when you think like that, you have a veil that obscures your perspective. Paul says, there's no freedom there. Because we can never do enough. There's no freedom with that kind of thinking. Because you're always going to come short. We can never keep all the commandments. Do you ever come into assembly and you begin to look around, and you begin to think, wow, I think I'm the only one here who has struggles. I mean, look, everyone else looks so nice together. Look at the smiles they have. You ask how they're doing, they all say fine. You think, oh, I must be the only one who has a family that's got some baggage, some struggles. You see, that's the voice of the accuser whispering in our ears, saying, you know what? God looks at the outside. Look, we're all, we're all dressed up really nice today. We all have smiles on our faces. God must really think that the outside is what's most important. But that's not what God says. That's not what God says at all. Look what Paul says in the very last verse of this chapter. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Say that with me, please. Can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. We can see the glory of the Lord because now the veil has been taken away. And when we see the glory of the Lord, we begin to reflect the glory of the Lord. We can see because we found hope in Jesus. We can reflect because our lives are lived with purpose. And we can share God's love. We can share God's glory. It's just natural because we're reflecting what we have seen in our Lord. 
more and more like Jesus, changing us into his glorious image. You know, the word, the word used there for change in the Greek is a word that you'll recognize the root of it. Metamorphometha. Can you figure out the root? Metamorphosis. That's what's taking place in our hearts. It's not just a little tweaking that God has to do. It's a total transformation that takes place in our hearts. And this is what Paul is wanting the Corinthians to understand. These, these outsiders, they're coming in and they're saying, where's Paul's letter of recommendation? Paul doesn't have one. And Paul looks at the church in much the same way that Dom did as his giving his communion thoughts. He says, look, here's my letter of recommendation. Look, I can see how God is working in every one of your hearts. That's the letter of recommendation. That is what shows that you are truly walking with Jesus in a way that's transforming yourself and impacting the world. So, what have I learned from this passage about God? I can sum it up in three words. One is relationship. I love God the Father more and more than I ever have because I know that God wants my heart. God wants to have a close and intimate relationship with me, not just out of obligatory obedience, but by changing me and making me more and more into the image of God. The second word is hope. I'm thankful for Jesus, God the Son, because I can stand before God knowing that I'm righteous, not because of anything that I've done, but totally by what Jesus has done. And the third word that I've written down in my notes is the word transformation. Oh, I want to keep my heart, my heart open for God's Spirit to keep working and to keep changing me inside. And this is hard. Whenever the Holy Spirit does work on your heart, it's not easy. It's painful. But that's what I want. I want to be made more and more and more into the image of Lord. I want to be transformed into His glory so that when I pass away, when I move from this world to the next, it's so natural because I find myself being made fully glorified at the throne of the living God. May we see and reflect the glory of God. Every day that we have life, everywhere we go, in our home, when we go to work, with our neighbors. This summer, if we travel, we may think we're on vacation, but we're not. We're actually reflecting the glory of the Lord wherever we go. Whether we're someplace else or here, we are the letter of Christ to the world. And letters are meant to be sent.
going to close with a prayer. After that prayer, we're going to sing a song. If you want to have someone pray with you, oh, let us know. We'll be here in the front. We'll also be in the Welcome Center if that's more convenient. If you would like to be immersed into the name of Jesus Christ, oh, we say now is the perfect time for that. I hope that all of us can respond to God's word in your own way. And may we leave here with a clear vision of our Lord and a greater desire to reflect his glory to the world. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for wanting to have a relationship with us. And Jesus, we thank you for making it possible that we can stand before Almighty God, holy, not because of what we have done, but but because of what you have done in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you keep working on us. We pray that you will bring revival, revival in our own spirits, but also in our church, Father, so that we can impact this world for you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.